Good morning, Evangel. <laughs> Welcome to church this morning. We are glad to see you. This is family getting together after a week of living our faith, living our beliefs, failing, succeeding, learning more, growing, and then we come together to stand shoulder to shoulder and be able to carry each other's burdens, to celebrate together and worship together. So this is family. Welcome to the family room as we all kind of gather, not in our pajamas with our coffee, but as we gather as family this morning. Welcome to those of you at home, possibly in your pajamas with your coffee. We are family together. I just want to pray before we stand and begin. Father, we are grateful that your grace is worthy of celebration, that your grace is worthy to be sung about and to be focused on. We are so grateful that your grace has saved us, wretches to the core, but your grace has sought us out and has found us, and we choose to celebrate as a family this morning, to come together and to sing your praise. Holy Spirit, we do this for one purpose, and it's for an audience of one. And we ask that you would anoint what we sing and what we say and what we pray about this morning, that it would be for the glory of God and for the glory of the Lamb that was slain. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us? <clears throat> You're going to have to put your hands together and be the rhythm section this morning. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the earth? Who shakes the whole earth with holy is breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you would lay down your sing for all that you've done for me who brings the chaos who brings your chaos back into order who makes the orphan a son and daughter the king of glory the king above all kings who rules the nations with truth and justice This is amazing grace, this is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, you would lay down your life, that I would be set free. Jesus, I sing for you've done for me. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the This is amazing grace, this is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, you would lay down your life, that I would be set free, Jesus I sing for all that you've done. I sing for all that you've done 
singing like you believe that today, like you mean it. But without leaving your seat, why don't you just take a moment to say hi to the people around you before you're seated this morning. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Nice to see you today. Welcome to Evangel, whether you're here in person or you're watching us, as Carleen said, in your pajamas with coffee from home. We don't resent you very much at all, just sort of a little bit. But uh, 
We're glad that you're here and you're a part of our service today. For those of you, I know as the summer moves on and uh, some of you have been getting your vaccines, you're starting to make your way back. So for some of you, this is your first time back in a long time. So I just want to say welcome back uh, to you as well and glad that you're, you're here um, this morning. Just a couple of announcements for you. Um, uh, just as, as we're going along and as restrictions are lifting, sometimes people are wondering, okay, so what sort of, what are the rules now, what are not the rules or whatever. So just basically, we're going to continue with the registration process. And the reason for that is that public health uh, is telling us that they still require a record of everybody who is in the building in case they do have to do contact tracing. So we will have to continue our registration process for that reason. Secondly, because as long as there are health restrictions or there are COVID restrictions in place, our insurance company also requires the waiver to be signed. So that's also a part of that online registration uh, process as well. So that's, that's important for us. And even though from a seating standpoint, right now we're, we are allowed to have about between 180 and 200 in here. So we're able to comfortably do that, but we also need to monitor to make sure that we don't exceed that. So just in case you're wondering, we will need to continue with that. We still need to continue with wearing masks while we're inside the building. And we still need to continue with not visiting with each other, uh, you know, uh, creating visiting pods around while we're inside. We're going to try and create opportunities for you when you exit the building on Sunday morning to, to be able to, to visit and see each other and have those conversations. But we we can't do them inside the building at this point, so we're basically in, in our seat, worship, service, back out, and then we'll, we'll do our socializing outside. So on a high note with that, next Sunday, the ice cream truck is returning for the second time this summer. And uh, so next Sunday morning, for all of those who are here in the service, sorry, those of you in your pajamas and coffee, but for those of us who are here in the service, at the end of the service, there'll be free ice cream for you as you exit out onto the parking lot, and we just encourage you to visit with each other, enjoy each other's company, catch up with each other, and, uh, and ha enjoy that time together. I also want to take the, just a quick moment to say thank you to the Kerr Street uh, team who served breakfast on Saturday morning, and they've done that throughout the last 16 months uh, when they've been able to go in there, and they've been doing it creatively and serving those who are very vulnerable and need to have access to that, uh, that ministry. So thank you for those of you who went on Saturday and served so faithfully there. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. At this point, I'm going to invite kids, grade JK to grade 5, Look at that. I didn't even have to say go around the back. Like they are just, they're, they're, they're getting it. Good, good job, guys. All right. God bless you. Enjoy the remainder of the service this morning. You can remain seated. We'll invite you to stand in just a few moments. You were the word at the beginning. One with God, the your hidden glory in creation now revealed in you are Christ what a beautiful name it is what a beautiful name it is the name of Jesus Christ my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. What can separate? Why don't you stand and sing? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. Jesus 
scripture this morning is found in Philippians chapter 3, and we're just going to read verses 12 to 14. I do not mean that I am already as God wants me to be. I have not yet reached that goal, but I continue trying to reach it and to make it mine. Christ wants me to do that, which is the reason he made me his. Brothers and sisters, I know that I have not yet reached that goal, but there is one thing I always do, forgetting the past and straining toward what is ahead. I keep trying to reach the goal and get the prize 
for which God called me through Christ to the life above. Thank you. You may be seated. After experiencing a one-year delay and a lot of controversy, the 2020 Olympics finally kicked off in Tokyo, Japan in 2021. Athletes from all over the world gathered to pursue their goals. Some came to win. Others came knowing that the chances of winning were slim, but just for the pure joy of and privilege to compete. Now, while I personally enjoy watching many of the sporting events, my favorite part of the Olympics has always been the special stories that emerge and grab our attention. And so as I look back over this past Olympics, my favorite story of this Olympics centers around an Ethiopian-born Dutch runner, Sifan Hassan. And Sifan Hassan came to the Olympics as the reigning world champion in the 1,500-meter and the 10,000-meter races and as the bronze medalist in the 5,000-meter race. And so Safan's goal in coming into this Olympics was to become the first person to ever win what is considered the triple crown of running, gold in all three races. Her goal met a significant setback during the first round of the 1,500-meter event when the runner in front of her fell and she stumbled and fell hard to the ground. For a split second, it seemed like she was out of contention, but she got up and was able to not only finish the race, but she was actually able to overtake all the runners in front of her and actually win this particular heat. Now, apart from her incredible determination and her athletic skill, what made winning this race possible, I believe, was also the length of the race. Had it been a 100-meter sprint, which usually takes about 10 seconds, about 60 seconds for me, but 10 seconds for these athletes, athletes to run, a fall would have meant the end. There would just would not have been enough time. But the length of the race, 1,500 meters, which usually takes around four minutes to compete, to complete, allowed her the opportunity to pursue the finish line even though there was only one lap remaining. I believe there are moments in life when we stumble, when we fall, when we hit the ground hard. And our goal of becoming who God is calling us to be, who God wants us to be, seems impossible. It seems hopeless to us. If we view the race of life as a sprint, then we'll give up. Because we believe that, well, we're out of time. We're out of opportunities. And now we're disqualified. So there's no point in continuing on. But if we view the race of life as a marathon, we can get up because we know there is still time, that there are still more opportunities awaiting us. There is still, we're still very much in it. And we need to get up and we need to keep running. Now in our scripture today that I just read a few moments ago, Paul is reflecting on his life from a Roman prison and death is staring him at him, and he shares his testimony of his life's race, if you will, from the perspective of the past, who he used to be, the present, who he is now, and the future that he's looking forward to. He's been on a track that has led him into a real and genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as we consider this scripture today, we are going to be reminded that it is important to continue to strive towards reaching the goal of who God wants us to become, 
even when we stumble and the possibility seems hopeless. So let's walk through our scripture. Paul talks about the past. In chapter 3, which is our chapter today, Paul addresses leaders, yes, leaders in the church whose intentions, whose message is not honorable. And he's concerned that the church will fall into false doctrine as a result of what they are teaching and what they are doing. He refers to these leaders earlier as Judaizers. They were a segment of followers of Jesus who had come from Jewish backgrounds, Jews who became followers of Jesus. Now, according to Paul, the grace of God provided through the death and resurrection of Jesus, well, it wasn't enough for them. So they added some additional things to the package to make it more ex- acceptable. So there were, there were things in their minds that were needed to make it complete. The goal of the Judaizers was to have Gentile followers, those who did not come from Jewish backgrounds, who became followers of Jesus. Their goal was, well, they wanted them to submit to circumcision and other Jewish practices. And by doing that, they then said, well, now you can be who God wants you to be. And Paul is very upset with them about this. He's actually very, very angry because he he believes that they are actually hindering these new followers of Jesus from moving forward to reach their goal. Now, it's interesting what Paul calls them. He calls them dogs. <laughs> now, you got to kind of understand what's happening in this day. It was very common. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Cuba, but when you're in Cuba, there are dogs everywhere. Everywhere you go, there are dogs. But they're nice dogs, right? Cuban dogs are nice dogs. They're, they're very polite. But in, in this culture, in this time, it was common that these, these dogs would, would, these wild, vicious, homeless animals wandered around during... Uh, you know, this time, and they would attack people. They would hurt people. And so Paul says, you know what? You're like these dogs. You wander around. You are viciously attacking these new believers with false doctrine and improper expectation, and you're causing them to stumble and to fall in their pursuit of what God wants for them. And so Paul shares a little bit of his own story to help them understand that he sees where they're coming from because, you know what? He's been there too, but God has changed him. And so he says to them, if anyone could boast in the flesh, well, you know, it would be him. He says, I I could stand equal to any of them. In terms of focusing on outward activity, he could outdo anybody at this time. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day, which is the Jewish custom. He was a descendant of the tribe of Benjamin. His parents were Jews. He studied under Gamaliel, who was the most illustrious rabbi of that time. And Paul was once a Pharisee. He had a great zeal for the Jewish faith. And so before coming to a relationship with Jesus, he promoted Judaism and he condemned Christianity. In fact, he became a prominent leader in the persecution of the early church, and we read about that in Acts, and his reputation reached far beyond Jerusalem. If Paul was judged, and this is the point he's making, if I was judged by men, he said, based on the law, then they would look at me and say, he's blameless, he's blameless. Paul could identify with their zeal, their intentions, because that is where his own race began, on that same track, with emphasis on the external, on the laws, on the activities, and not on a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Then he shifts to the present. The person that Paul is presently, as he writes this, is not the person he used to be. Something significant has taken place in his life. And we can read about that in Acts chapter 9. We read what happened to him. We're told he was on his way to Damascus, and he was doing it so he could arrest some Christians for their faith when he literally encountered Jesus on the Damascus road and fell to the ground in humility. Now, in looking back, Paul saw this experience in terms 
of losses and gains. Paul learned that all the advantages he outlined above in his former life were actually liabilities to him. He once regarded them as profit to reach his goal of being righteous, but he realized that the opposite was actually happening. This moment with Jesus caused him to realize that his life's focus was actually hindering him from his goal. This focus was holding him back, a detriment. The law did not deliver in his life what it had promised to deliver. And so by emphasizing and trusting in human performance, he stumbled in his relationship with God. He says, I once enjoyed a lot of advantages, prestige in this life. But he says, all of these advantages are worthless. They're garbage because they caused him to fail in his pursuit of his goal. And so Paul recovered from his stumbling and declared that he is now found in Jesus. The word found here is end time terminology. And what he's saying is that his relationship with Christ means that someday he will get to stand before Jesus. And Paul wants it to be revealed at that time when he stands before Jesus that he has a relationship with Jesus Christ, not based on works, but based on grace. Now, Paul doesn't know if he's going to be alive when Jesus returns or if he's going to be resurrected, but either way, he's longing for that moment. And so he has given up a spirituality based on works, which caused him to fail, and he has exchanged it for a relationship with Jesus based on grace. Then he shifts to the future. He shared with us who he was before he met Jesus. He shared with us who he is since he met Jesus. And now he begins to focus on the future. His life in Jesus is a pursuit in a new direction. And he wants his readers to understand that he's not perfect, that he hasn't arrived yet, that he hasn't received everything he longs for. He hasn't reached his goal yet. He wants them to know that there is a continuing responsibility to pursue this relationship with Jesus. And so he outlines how he personally is pursuing Jesus in terms of the future as a desire to inspire those who are reading, those he is writing to, to follow the same pattern. And so he says to them, and we read it this morning, there is one thing I always do. Now, this one thing terminology really stresses the priority, the, the consuming passion of his life, his goal, his one thing, his one priority. And he uses the metaphor of a foot race. And in a race, you can't dwell on what is behind you. He says, forgetting the past and straining toward the future. Paul is choosing to focus, not focus on the past, on who he used to be, uh, how he stumbled or how he failed before, but, you know, or how many times he's come up short. He's choosing to look ahead. He is choosing to focus on God leading his life into the future. And so he says that he continually makes a conscious refusal to not let the past absorb his attention so that it impedes his progress in the future. He says not even present spiritual accomplishments, not even the good things that are happening presently in his life can lull him into thinking that he's arrived. Instead, he says he's straining towards his goal. He's following after it with all the intensity that he has within him. When Paul pursued sinful things in his former life, in his past, he did it with intensity. And he still has the same intensity, but now it's focused on his goal. Well, what is his goal? He calls it the prize of the high calling of God. 
Once again, using athletic terminology. The winner of a race would be summoned to the podium to receive their prize, their award. And Paul's ultimate goal, Paul's prize, is to be rewarded by Jesus at the end of his life for the race that he has run. Nothing can distract him from his determination to reach that goal. And so Paul is calling for his readers in Philippi to think in harmony with him, to think as he is thinking, to make priority what he has made priority. They are progressing in their faith, and he is confident that if they continue to intensely pursue Jesus, that will, God will lead them into the truth as they pursue their goal. As I look at this passage, there are two areas that I want to that I believe are emphasized in our scripture today that I would like us to, um, to focus on in terms of reaching our own goal. The first thing is embracing grace. The truth is, it is often easier to focus on externals, on performance-based faith, than it is to accept and enjoy a personal, genuine relationship with Jesus based on grace. Many of us are more comfortable focusing on the external things, what others see on the outside, than what we are, what's going on on the inside, and allowing the Holy Spirit to do that difficult, difficult, deep-rooted work that's needed in our lives. It's, it's much easier to focus on the externals than it is to let the Holy Spirit just pull us apart and change us from the inside out. And so as a result, it affects how we live our lives as followers of Jesus. Those who are consumed with appearance, with performance, but lack love and grace, well, tend to judge others when they stumble when they make wrong choices, rather than seeing a relationship with Jesus as a journey filled with moments of stumbling and falling and failure and getting back up and keeping on going, even though it's not been as an easy race to run. People who take a legalistic performance approach to faith deliberately avoid those they consider to be sinful people and avoid places that they, you know, consider to be sinful places and they choose instead the Christian alternative to these things and attempt to keep themselves pure. But in the meantime, the kingdom of God gets neglected because the kingdom is for those who are broken and lost and hurting and need to be reached. People who take a legalistic performance approach to faith place more emphasis on issues than they do on people. In fact, they often miss people because they're so consumed by the issue. People who take a legalistic performance approach to faith crumble when real hardships come because their efforts, as strong as they may be, can't change one single thing in their own power. Their expectation of God's intervention is based on what they believe they deserve because of what they have done and their performance. But I want to suggest today that people who have a grace-based relationship with Jesus and are focused on growing and becoming more like him have learned that they are loved by him despite their performance. And they find comfort in his love. And acceptance. They don't judge others and kick them when they're down because they demonstrate compassion to others because they have been recipients of incredible compassion themselves. People who have a grace-based relationship with Jesus are motivated to model Jesus, to pursue all people, to go where they need to go just like Jesus did. People who have a grace-based relationship with Jesus evaluate the value of a person, of a person, over the importance 
of an issue. People who have a grace-based relationship with Jesus demonstrate faith when their world falls apart because they trust Jesus regardless of the outcome and what they see. And so if the church, if followers of Jesus are going to be an effective force in our world as we anticipate the return of Jesus, we will need to come to grips with the reality that it is grace and grace alone that saves us and saves others. A focus on grace brings us into a genuine relationship with Jesus. A focus on performance creates a legalistic environment that suffocates the love of God. So if we're going to realize our goal, we have to embrace grace. Secondly, embracing the future. I can say that, truth be told, many of us struggle with our relationship with our past. Sometimes we heighten, exaggerate, romanticize the past as the good old days as the best years of our lives. You know, one of the sort of memes sometimes you see on social media is, if you had a chance to go back and relive your high school days, would you do it? And most people go, no, never. I would never want to go back into that environment. And I look at that and I go, I'd love to go back there. Those were great years. But I think somehow in my mind over the years, I've forgotten how, how horrible it can be being a teenager in high school. And, and I think I've forgotten that. But sometimes we do that. We, we make the past seem so great. Sometimes we evaluate, we elevate our past spiritual experiences so high that it's easier to live with the memories, with the memories of past moments with God than it is for us to experience new ones. We're just, we just have those memories and we live off those memories. We long to experience what we remember experiencing in the past so much sometimes that we miss living in the now and we stop looking to the future. Now for others, the pain of the past, the things that were experienced in the past are so deep-rooted that they're tethered to the past. They can't seem to move forward. Many of us, we want to let go of the hurts that we experienced in the past, the unforgiveness that's, that's been tethered to us, the painful memories, and, 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 and instead trust Jesus, but, but sometimes we just can't seem to get there. We just can't get there. Now, I want, I want to be clear today that our past is important. Our past is really important. We are who we are because of our past. It, it shaped who we've become today. We can only know where we're going when we know where we've been. The past is important. There are lessons that we have learned in the past that will help us to embrace the future. The past matters. There is much good to come from our past but I want us to be reminded today that our future is not in the past. The future, our future is not in the past. God has not brought us here to take us back. God has brought us here this far because there is still more to go. There's so much more to be experienced of God. There is so much more that we can do for God. Our relationship with Jesus cannot be just a yesterday experience. It must be a today experience and a future experience. God has done many wonderful things in and through our lives and, and in and through his church and this church through the years that we recall fondly and we should and we value because it helped us get where we are. But if our focus is on the past while neglecting our future, we're in trouble. The past is important. This past week, I did something I do regularly. I go to our website, I click on our story, and I read the story of Evangel from the beginning. I do that every eight, 10 months to remind myself of where we've been, where we come from, but also as part of moving forward. We don't live in the past. If we do, we're in trouble. If we stay in the past, we're in trouble. 
This is who we are today. This is what God is calling us to do in our time. Our past gives us momentum to move forward, but we must move forward and take new steps of faith. Our relationship with Jesus should reflect Paul's words, intensely reaching towards the future, all that God has in store for us with everything we have in us, with all intensity. Our faith requires a genuine relationship with Jesus that builds off the past and reaches for the future with everything that we have within us. Now, I know it's likely difficult for you to picture me as an athlete. Okay, that really hurts. But I did play basketball and volleyball in high school and college. And my favorite sport was volleyball. And watching Olympic volleyball this past week brought back a lot of great memories for me. Memories of the level I never achieved, but it brought back a lot of good memories for me. Not only did I play volleyball, but when I was a youth pastor about 100 years ago in the early 90s, I coached a high school girls volleyball team. Now, it's important to understand when it comes to sports that momentum is a big part of any sport. Momentum. When the momentum is with you, everything is going right and you are cruising towards victory. But when the momentum swings, and it often does, everything starts to go wrong and we can feel victory slipping away. It's in these moments that it's important as a team and as an athlete to recognize what is happening and deliberately push back. And the good teams do that well. I saw some teams this week not do that well and well, we know where that went. There were many times that I observed the momentum shift on the girls team that I coached. I could tell when they were overwhelmed. I could tell when they were, had lost hope, when they basically had given up. I could tell. And so in those moments, I would call a timeout. And I would look them in the eye, and I would say to them, don't you ever give up. It's never over until it's over. You fight to the end, and when you stumble, you get back up. Now get back out there and focus on the goal, right? The big coach speech. Now sometimes it worked, but most often it didn't. But sometimes it works. Folks, life is hard. Life is hard. It's filled with painful moments. It's filled with failures and stumbles and setbacks. There are times that we can hardly breathe, that all hope seems to be gone, that the future is a blur, that we just want to lay there on the ground after stumbling and falling because we're convinced that it's over. It's over. But I want to remind you this morning that life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And you may feel like giving up this morning. But if you are feeling like that, I just want to call a timeout right here, right now, and I want to look you in the eye, and I want to say to you, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't you dare give up. It's not over yet. There's still more race to be run. Don't take your eye off the goal. Don't take your eye off the goal. I'm going to invite our worship team back. It's important to continue to strive towards reaching the goal of who God wants us to become, even when we stumble and the possibility seems hopeless. Would you stand with me this morning? Some of you may be here today or watching from home. 
and this is a difficult time for you right now. You feel like, you, you, you know, you, you, you came into this race and you had goals and plans and ideas and you were striving towards those goals and everything was going great and then all of a sudden you were knocked off of your feet. You've been knocked down. And you don't know if it's even worth trying to get up or not because you've been knocked down so many times. You know, what's the point in getting up? I'm just going to get knocked down again. I just want to encourage you this morning. As Paul was saying, no, there's a goal worth striving for. There's a grace that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a future that awaits us. And when we get knocked down and we get injured and we feel like we can't go any further and all hope seems to be disappeared, by the grace of God, we need to be able to stand up and keep going and never, ever quit. Carlene's going to lead us in a song this morning and we're going to participate in communion together. As I thought about communion this morning, I just thought of that scripture where it talks about how Jesus facing the cross, right? Who for the joy set before him. No joy in a cross. No joy in suffering, no joy in pain, no, no joy in humiliation. That's not where the joy was. The joy was in the goal, the ultimate goal. What's going to come from this, right? Who for the joy set before him, the joy in seeing past the pain and the struggle and the humiliation to the goal, endured the cross, suffered the pain, and is victorious, right? That's who we model this morning. That's who we emulate. That's what we strive to be. And communion this morning reminds us of that. Carly, would you lead us for a moment this morning? separation of the clear plastic from the main tab. If you pull that back, it will release the wafer. And then when the time comes, if you pull back the bigger one, it will release the juice that's inside. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22 to 20, sorry, 23 to 24, we read, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, 
and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Verses 25 and 26, it reads, In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's drink together. Let's pray. There's a prayer that I want to share with you this morning as we pray. God of our hidden depths, in honest regret, in trust, we confess our faults and we recognize our frailty. Show us that we are forgiven so we may forgive. Touch our wounds with your healing so we may be people who heal. Help us to be at peace with ourselves that we may become makers of your peace for others. Through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Carlene's going to lead us again for another moment before we conclude our service of prayers. Blood never